0: Welcome again. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Some of us have been out, being sick, or traveling, or seeing family, and it's just good to be together as the body of Christ. So thank you for being here this morning. This morning, we're going to look at the discipline of prayer in the life of the believer. Last week, we looked at the importance of memorizing Scripture, of committing the Word of God to our memory so that we have tools to fight against temptation, things to encourage us in our walk and things to encourage others. If you missed that, you can listen on the website. But what we're going to look at today is the very life and breath of the Christian as we talk about the discipline of prayer. And I think it's really important when we talk about things like this, whether it be any of the spiritual disciplines, fellowship, Bible reading, Scripture memory, prayer, whatever it is, that we let the Word of God shape our understanding and inform the way that we think about these things because everyone thinks about everything in a certain way. Do you know what I mean when I say that? No matter who you talk to, they have a way of thinking about these things. Might not be a biblical way, might not be a way that makes sense, but everyone has a way of thinking about this stuff and it's really important that as believers in Christ who have been purchased with his blood that we think In accordance with his mind, his will, and his word. Just for funsies, while I was preparing this, I went on YouTube and I just typed prayer into the search bar. I don't recommend doing this, it was crazy. I want to share just a few of the top videos that came up if you just search for prayer. You ready for this? A powerful blessing prayer for 2022. Declare this over your home, your life. And your home. This is for people with two homes, apparently. <laughs> the atomic power of prayer. How to be full, fixed, and anointed. The best sleep prayers. Prayers to overthrow every evil spirit. Powerful prayers to destroy any curse of unwillful singleness. Pretty sure the Bible says that's not a curse, but a blessing. Also, Bon Jovi's song, Living on a Prayer, showed up, which I'm pretty sure has better theology than any of the previously mentioned videos. Now, as sad as that is, and kind of funny, what does it tell us? It tells us that the world has no clue what prayer is for, and maybe even some Christians just haven't dug into this. this something that you know you ought to do as a believer and so you maybe do it or you think about it but you don't really know what is it for? What does God desire that we do with prayer? And I'm just going to admit to you at the beginning there is so much about this that I do not have time to say today. So don't listen to me and say, well, he didn't say anything about X, Y, or Z. I would and maybe at some point we will but I want to give us this morning some course correction, perhaps, if it's needed, or at least some information. What does the Word of God say? What's our model for prayer in the Scriptures? So along with some maybe practical helps, we want to look at some of the prayers of Scripture and see what God has for us in this really important area. So just as we do every Sunday, I invite you to bow your heads and pray with me as we begin. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for this opportunity that you have so graciously given us to meet together. As we consider the climate of our world and what goes on, not just here where we are, but around the globe, Lord, there are so many places where gathering together like this is dangerous, forbidden, just not possible in some places. So we do not want to take for granted the blessing and the privilege of coming together in one place to worship you, to sing praises to you, to hear your word, read and preached. God, today we, we ask for your help. We ask that through the power of your spirit and through the words that you have written for us that we would be encouraged and challenged, that we would understand what prayer is and what it's for and what it ought to be in our life. Lord, please help us and grant us strength to be the kind of people that depend upon you and that every part of our life would show that dependence. In our our prayer, in our living, in our work, whatever it is, Lord, we are dependent on you. Prayer is just one of the ways that we demonstrate that dependence. And so, Father, we come needy and asking that you would fill us. We come weak and ask that you would strengthen us. We come hungry and ask that you'd satisfy us all for the glory of your name and for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. I know I've said this before and we've come across certain things in our preaching schedule, but oftentimes, even though I'm preparing a message for the good of the church, I'm the one who often is the most challenged and convicted at what I see and this week was was no exception to that at all. It was so... I think convicting is the right word. As I'm reading about John Bunyan or Thomas Watson or George Mueller or some of these people who, to them, prayer was not some kind of raincoat that you put on. Oh, it's going to rain. I better quick pray and, and get this taken care of. And then when it passes, you take it. Prayer was their life. And it was the center of their ministry. And as I was looking, you can't help but compare, which is not always good. Sometimes it is. But you look at the way they totally and completely depended upon God, which was demonstrated in the way that they viewed prayer. And so I'm, I'm reading all of this and I'm looking at my own life and I'm going, oh my goodness, we have so far to go. And yet the call is there for all of us. So I just want you to know that I'm not... I'm not telling you that you you need to get on board with what I'm doing here. I'm I'm saying to myself, there's a lot of room for growth for all of us in this really important discipline of prayer. And I think one of the things that I was able to do, and I want to ask you some of these same questions, because as I was reading about these men and women who have gone before us and who demonstrate this dependence upon God, their life just looked different. It just... It smelled different. There's just something about them. And so I'm thinking about these things like, do I live a life that the Apostle Paul would say is devoted to prayer? What does that mean? What does it mean to be devoted to prayer? Is prayer something for me that's a last resort? Like after I've exhausted every other option and done everything that I can, well, maybe it's time to pray. Do I pray in faith, knowing who God is and his ability to answer prayer? Or are they kind of a shot in the dark prayers? You know, where you just hope that by some chance, maybe my prayer and God's providence will intersect and and the answer will come? Is prayer an attempt to get God on board with what I'm doing? Or is it an opportunity for my heart and my will and my life to be conformed to Gods. These are important questions that we need to ask and in addition to what we're going to see this morning, I want to encourage you at some point, maybe this afternoon, maybe this week, take 10 minutes and think about your prayer life. Chances are you won't love what you see. but That's kind of the point. I mean, that's why we're here. <laughs> we're not here to show off what we know. We're here to humbly come before the Word of God and and learn and assess and grow together. We exist to grow together. This is one area that I think we all really need to grow in, myself being the foremost. So let's start by answering a very, very basic question. What is prayer? What is prayer? Prayer is at its foundation, simple level, personal communication from us to God. Personal communication from us to God. Now there are many, many elements to prayer, some of which we're going to talk about today. There are prayers of petition, where we ask God or make requests. Prayers of thanksgiving, where you are just overwhelmed with the goodness of God and out of that you give thanks to God. There are prayers of praise, acknowledging and worshiping God for who He is. Prayers of intercession, where we pray for those in our life, for the people around us, for specific needs or whatever the case may be. And I think it's important to understand that as believers, there are going to be times when all of those different aspects of prayers are included. Right? It's not that every one of your prayers has to include a request, a thanksgiving, uh, intercession for somebody else, a praise. They could, that's not wrong. But we need to understand that as the seasons and situations of our life shift And adjust and grow. Our prayers will shift and adjust and grow. And that's okay. Because all of those things are commended to us in the scriptures. So what I want to do now is give us four things that prayer ought to be from the scripture. Four things that it ought to be. So as you consider your prayer life, as I do the same, what are we looking for? What is our standard? You ready? Four things prayer ought to be. First... Prayer should be primarily about God and his work. Prayer should be primarily about God and his work. When Jesus left us the example in the Lord's Prayer, which we could probably say together, how does that start? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus gets halfway through his prayer before you or I ever show up. Father in heaven, your kingdom, your name, your will. It is primarily about God. As we continue in the New Testament and we read the prayers that are recorded there from the apostles, the same theme shows up. The Apostle Paul, for example, he does not just write in his letters and thank the churches for what they're doing. He doesn't just pray and thank God for the work that the churches are doing. He prays and thanks God for the work God is doing in the church. Have you ever noticed this distinction? It's not that he isn't thankful to the church, and it's not that the church isn't doing great things. But what Paul is doing by setting us this example is showing us that the model of his prayer is primarily thanking God for God's work. We can see this in a couple of places. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.4, Paul says, I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. He thanks God for the church, not just for what they're doing or who they are, but because God has given his grace to that church. Colossians 1, 3 and 4, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. Why does God get thanks for their faith? Paul prays and says, thank you God for the faith of this church. Why? Because faith is a gift of God. It is a work of God. So Paul rightly doesn't just say, boy, I'm really glad this church has it together. He says, thank God for his work there. God is primary. His work is primary. One more place, 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 11. To this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Paul is praying for the work of God to happen here. This is the primary model of prayer. Do, do we pray like this? Do we model our prayers after what we see in the Bible? It's not wrong to, pr- to pray for specific things. It's not wrong to make specific requests. But if we do that in a way that ignores the work of God, we're missing the point, And we're missing an opportunity to glorify God for His work. So let's say somebody's in a situation. They need some help. They need wisdom for a decision. Anyone ever needed wisdom for a decision? I didn't think so. You guys got it together. So someone comes to you and says, hey, I really need, I need prayer. What are you going to pray? Do you pray that your brother or sister would just be smart enough to make the right decision? God, just let them, be, just let them get it. Or should we pray God grant them wisdom. You are the God of all wisdom. You are the one who gives wisdom. James 1 said, If you lack wisdom, ask, and God will give it to you. You see the difference? Don't pray in a way that ignores the fact that every single thing we have or need comes from God. And prayer is an opportunity to ascribe those things to God, our prayers should be primarily about God and His work. That's what we see when we read the New Testament. Number two, our prayers should be an honest reflection of what is in our heart. Prayer should be an honest reflection of what is in our heart. Remember in Matthew 12, 34, and Jesus says, Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. I also think that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth prays. So, when we think about what shapes your prayer, what, do you, what are you praying to God? It's whatever is in your heart, and it ought to be. This is why I started last week with scripture memory before we talked about prayer. Because I've talked to a lot of people who have the desire to pray, they just don't know what, what do I do? Where do you start? It seems kind of weird to pray out loud sometimes or to have what we might consider to be a normal conversation with God. What do you do? do? Well, if you stock the word of God in your mind and in your heart, you always have something to pray back to him. Whatever is in your heart is going to come out, so make sure that what is in your heart is good and pleasing to God. If you have a desire to pray, and just don't know what to communicate, that's okay. Knowing what the Bible teaches about the Word of God and what he thinks about his own Word, I have confidence that it pleases God when he hears his Word prayed back to him by his people. We should never be at a lack for what to pray or what to say to God when we have his Word. But the reality... That prayer ought to be a reflection of what is in our heart is not only good news if we have something to say, it is also tremendously comforting when we are in seasons of pain, seasons of loss, seasons of heartache. I've talked with enough of you and have had plenty of my own experiences to know that there is a comfort and a sweetness in knowing that when your heart is heavy, When your circumstance stinks, you can bring that to God. In those times, your prayer ought to be an overflow of what's in your heart. You do not have to clean everything up before you go to God in prayer. God does not expect you to act like everything's fine and just come before Him and say, well, everything's great now and I'm just thankful for whatever. No. If it's in your heart, say it to God. The Bible makes it clear that we are to not doll things up in our prayers, but to bring the genuine condition of our heart before God. James 5, verse 13, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. It doesn't say anything about, well, just act like you're not suffering, but come to God anyway. No. Are you suffering? Go to God. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Philippians 4, 6, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. In fact, in places, God commands us to do this, to bring our hearts and our minds before him. Psalm 50, verse 15 Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will glorify me. God is telling us, come to me. When you're in trouble, are you anxious? Are you sick? Come to me. You don't have to clean it up. Prayers ought to be a genuine reflection of what is in your heart. God does not expect you to gloss everything over and pretend like it's fine. He knows what's in your heart. So our prayers ought to be a genuine and honest reflection of what is there anyways. I I don't want us to get the idea that our prayers have to be perfect and polished. There is a time and a place to just cry out to God because that's what's in your heart. That's not going to make Him angry. You're not doing something disrespectful. Prayer ought to be a reflection of what is in our hearts. Now the next two things, it's actually four things, but I'm putting them in groups of two. And this gets more at the, the mechanics, some of the disciplines of our prayer. Number three, prayer ought to be both scheduled and spontaneous. Prayer ought to be both scheduled and spontaneous. Nobody accidentally falls into a robust effective prayer life <laughs> like you've never prayed before and then all of a sudden you wake up one day and it's just boom there that doesn't happen this takes discipline intentionality it takes schedule John Anwachekwa has a really helpful book on prayer and he says a fruitful prayer life is cultivated by constant practice A fruitful prayer life is cultivated, it's grown, it's nourished by constant practice. We see often in the scriptures this model of regular, intentional prayer. The psalmist in Psalm 63 says, God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. You go after God with intentionality, it has to be there. If you haven't already done this, I would highly encourage you to set a time, a regular daily time of prayer. Set this aside. For me, this is in the morning. My faculties, my mind is just sharper at 6 a.m. than it is at 9 p.m. Maybe that's not you. That's okay. You don't have to do what I do. But make a regular scheduled time where you meet with God and commune with him in prayer. Doesn't have to be hours long. Whatever you need, however you can do this to build this regularity into your life, schedule that time. We read in the Gospels that Jesus very often went away by himself and prayed and communed with his Father. And if Jesus needed that, how much more do you and I need that? We are not God. We are not perfect or infallible. We are sinful people who daily need to spend time with our Creator and our God. And the wonder of wonders is that he desires that as well. What a thing. So set aside this intentional time for prayer. But in addition to that, we also need to have times of unplanned or spontaneous prayer in our life. I think I've mentioned this before as well. Very little of our lives is premeditated. And what I mean by that is... You might have a plan. You might kind of know generally how things are going to go. But most of the time, there are interruptions, distractions, uh, just a flat change of plans. When's the last time anyone did something and it went exactly how you thought it would go? (laughs) Not very often. And so if a lot of our life is reactionary, then you need to be prepared. You need to have a category for spontaneous prayer. You find yourself suddenly in a situation... What's your mm, what's your gut? What's your reaction to that? Is it prayer? Or is it trying to fix it? Yeah. We need to have a category for spontaneous, unplanned prayer. We shouldn't view our intentional time of prayer as the only time we ever pray. Think about this in terms of a relationship. Marriage, friends, whatever. If the only time you communicated was the schedule, okay, when I get home, 4 to 4.20, we are going to communicate, would that be a good model of communication? Or what if there was no plan? What if it was all willy-nilly and you just, oh, if I feel like it, I'll talk. Well, we can go four days and not talk because we didn't feel like it. Is that a good model of communication? No. My point is that we need both of these things. You need a regular set time where you go before the Lord and you bear your heart to Him. And you also need a category to say, I don't have to be in my prayer room or on my couch or wherever you normally do. You can talk to God any and we need both of those things. We need both of those things in our lives. John Piper has helpfully said, the rich fruit of spontaneity grows in the garden that is well tended by the discipline of schedule. (laughs) You need to start with the routine, the schedule, the habit, and out of that will flow all kinds of helpful, sometimes spontaneous benefits to your time with the Lord. So work to develop both the schedule and the spontaneous. Lastly, prayer ought to be both private and public. Prayer ought to be both private and public. First, private. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching Sermon on the Mount. Listen to what he says about private prayer. This is Matthew 6, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, Shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Prayer ought to be done in private at times. Private prayer is where you will have the sweetest times with the Lord. It's just you and Him. You commune with Him. You pour out your heart to Him. You're not... Embarrassed by the emotion that might come out in your prayer. You're not intimidated by having other people around you to hear how you do or do not pray. This is just you and God. And one of the reasons I think Jesus commends this kind of prayer to us is because he knows that sometimes we get around other people and we try to kind of uh, puff ourselves up. Have you ever prayed one on one with somebody and then heard them pray in a group and it's like two different people praying? try to sound more educated or more holy or use bigger words, none of which honors God more if it comes from a heart of pride. So we need these private times of prayer so that God can minister to us sweetly by His Spirit and we can pour out our heart to Him. We need that. But then, in addition to the private prayer, we also have many examples in the New Testament of public and corporate prayer. We give you a couple of examples. In Acts chapter 12, James had just been martyred, killed. And Peter's still in prison. And the church doesn't send a text out to everybody and say, hey, go into your prayer closets right now and pray. They gather together and they pray corporately for God to intervene and release Peter from prison. And he does. And I think this sets a good precedent for us, that there is a time, there is a place to gather together and pray corporately, publicly, out loud, and bring requests to God. When Paul is instructing Timothy in First Timothy 2, he's instructing him how to do things in the church, right? He, he left Timothy in Ephesus to establish churches, to put elders into place, to teach them what the order of their service should be, how they should do things. And this is what he says. This is 1 Timothy 2, 1. First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is in the context of a corporate worship service. Verse 3, this is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. God is pleased when we come together and corporately, publicly pray. Which is also a privilege that is not shared with everyone around the world. We ought never to take that lightly. There is something sweet about hearing a brother or a sister pray out loud next to you, isn't there? You get to hear their heart. You get to hear their priority. You get to hear the way they care. This is something I'm trying to do better at. When people bring concerns or situations or uh, requests, whatever it may be, rather than just saying, oh, I'll be praying for you, which we should, what if we just stopped and said, let's pray right now? That's one of the most encouraging things you can do to a fellow Christian or someone who isn't a Christian. I've prayed with unbelievers before. They're weirded out, but that's okay. That's what we're called to do. Put your arm around them or if you don't like that, just kind of whatever you have to do. But pray with them right there. That's something I'm working on and I want you to work on that. It is good That we pray publicly for one another. Do you pray with your kids? You pray with your family. You pray with your friends. You pray for your meals. Those things don't make you a Christian. But it's a privilege that we have as Christians. Our prayer life ought to be both private and public. Now there is a whole bunch of other stuff that I wanted to say this morning. We're a little bit limited on time. What I'm going to do is, I just, I compiled a whole bunch of stuff in my week of study and I want you to know it. So tomorrow I'm going to email the church and give you the rest of the sermon. (laughs) I'm just going to share with you some of the things that I think are important and we just don't have time to do. Things like, why do we pray in Jesus' name? What's the significance of that? What role does the Holy Spirit have in our prayers? Is it wrong to pray someone else's prayer, a scripted or written prayer? All these kinds of things I think we need to kind of get a little handle on. So if you don't get our emails, leave your email on a connection card. We'll get you the rest of the sermon tomorrow. So today I want you to remember our prayers should primarily be about God and His work. Okay, Our prayers are a reflection of what is in our heart. Prayer should be scheduled and spontaneous. They should be both private and public. I just want to give you a pastoral encouragement. Don't let this feel like a weight that crushes you if you aren't doing all these things. Use it as an opportunity to grow in this area. That's my desire. That's my prayer for us. That we wouldn't be crushed by this and go, well, I can't do it, so what's the point? No, we're commanded to do this. So my prayer is that we would grow in this discipline together for the good of each other, for the glory of God. Let's pray together now as we come to the table. Father in heaven, we do give you thanks. And as we see what your word says and we see what you desire from us so often, it just, it feels heavy (laughs) because we fall short of those things. And on our own, we don't have the strength to do all of these things. So we ask for help. We ask for the ministry of your Holy Spirit that you would come and impress upon us the importance of communing with you through prayer. That we would understand that you have given this means to us by your grace and for our good and would we use it in a way that honors and glorifies you. And Father, even now as we Come to your table. What a privilege to be able to celebrate together the life and the death and the resurrection of your son, Jesus. And we give you thanks in his name. Amen.